Dear Lord, thank you for this great blessing you have given to me and given to your people. We can share your word in your spirit. Is it not my word, but yours? You will speak your word to your people, to their heart and mind, with conviction, with power and authority. And you may use me as a speaker, as an instrument. Oh God, our Father, I'm really sorry I'm not actually feeling well. But I will do my best, O oh Lord, because this is my duty. And again, this is honor to deliver your message to your people. O oh God, our Father, be with us. And, and you may put all, uh, all of us under your control and in your mighty hand so that we may know more about you through your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Today we will study uh, heaven again. I think I shared with you and chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, last time I was here. We're going to study second half of this passage. There are many things we don't know about what heaven will be like. Because it is beyond our ability to, to comprehend. But one thing we can be sure of is that it is the holy city, a perfect world of love and peace and happiness. No more war, no more death, no more pain and suffering, no more broken relationship, no more abuse, no more false criticisms, no more turmoils of life, no more injustice. Just a perfect and a peaceful world. That is heaven. And that is where we are going. What's more, it is freely given to his people who remained faithful during their time on earth. Those who were persecuted politically, economically, and religiously, for his name's sake, will be allowed to enter the holy city and enjoy it. In addition, there will be no cost at all. Believe it or not, it is free. It is free. In heaven, the overcomers, the saints of God, will drink without cost from the spring of the water of life, meaning eternal life, according to verse 6, says the Lord who is the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. To tell the truth, God has prepared all of this for you and for me and for us. He has granted us who did nothing, who did nothing good to him, with 
his heavenly uh, privilege to be a part of his holy heavenly household. We think we have done great things for the church and for his work. But from his point of view, we hadn't done anything good to him because nothing good from us. We are sinners. We were all born in sinful nature. We need his mercy and his grace. We need his salvation. Here we have his amazing grace that he has given us. Salvation, eternal life in his everlasting kingdom, freely. It is his love. This amazing truth begins and derives from the Garden of Eden. And the, more importantly, it ends in, the, in a holy city that is like a garden paradise. The holy city is a perfectly new world which will be made possible by God's providence and actions. It says, Behold, I will make all things new. I make all things new. And he says, it is done. In verse 5 and 6. What begins in Genesis is brought to completion in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Let me briefly compare Genesis and Revelation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Heaven and earth created. And Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. A new heaven and a new earth. Sun created in Genesis chapter 1 verse 16. No need of the sun in this holy city. Revelation chapter 21 verse 23. The night established in chapter 1 of verse 5 Genesis. But no light, no night there in the city. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 5. The sea created Genesis 1. But no more seas in Revelation 21, verse 1. The curse announced because of sin, Genesis Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. But no more curse in uh, God's holy city, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 3. Death enters history in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19. No more death. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, man driven away from the tree. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, man restored to paradise, the holy city of God. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, sorrow and pain begin. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, no more tears, no more pain. No more sorrow in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. Isn't that great? What God started in Genesis, he fulfilled in Revelation. 
Having held that, we can see consistency in both God's promise and their fulfillment, judgment and reward and punishment and reestablishment throughout the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It seems to be true that heaven will be Eden, Garden of Eden, completely, fully, and perfectly restored. We have been living out of Eden, Garden of Eden since Adam and Eve committed sin against God. But the day will come when the original paradise, God intended us to be a part of, will be restored and revealed. In this perfect place, we will meet again those who have died, who have known Christ and lived for him. But one condition, if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, our Savior, you will see our fellow Christians who had gone home before us. Time goes by. There will be more people we desperately want to see in heaven than on earth. It it does sound a bit sad, but it is inevitable and unavoidable truth, isn't it? On the other hand, it also gives a hope that our relationship will not be lost. Our relationship will not be lost. They they will be regained and renewed. Our relationship will be restored. We will experience these relationships at a level we have never known before. Deep, rewarding, and fulfilling relationship will be the hallmark of heaven. Additionally, we will also have a perfect, ideal, and Fortress relationship with God, who is the creator of the heaven and earth. Our relationship with God, which was broken and separated by sin, will be healed, restored, and reconciled as well. There will be nothing between us, no separation. Our sinful nature will be taken away and we will be, I'm sorry, we will no longer struggle with the sin and the temptation. We are no longer under the bondage of sin. We are free from the bondage of sin. Our new relationship with God will, uh, uh, will be so intimate that Revelation describes it as a bride coming to her husband, full of love and passion, with arms open wide. We are no longer aliens, but his people and his, his children. He will be our God and our Lord. He himself, he himself will be amongst us. He will be with us. He will live with us. Forever. Think about we will live with our Creator, God Almighty, forever. 
in his everlasting kingdom. This has been God's desire from the very beginning, that face-to-face relationship that one day we will fully enjoy. In this perfect world, we will have the opportunity to enjoy him forever because God has made plans for it possible. We then see his divine plan unfolding throughout scriptures. For instance, we hear it in Psalms uh, 23 and verse 6 says, And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Of course, we undoubtedly will be in his holy house. Just as God heard the cry of the people of Israel and made plans for, for their deliverance, our God, our Lord, knows exactly what we are going through. And he has already made his plan of final deliverance in place. Isn't that great? He knows exactly what we are thinking. He knows exactly what problems we have. And he has got plan for our redemption already. The corrupted, fallen part of the world will be gone. And God will restore the world to the way it was meant to be in the beginning, unspoiled by human sin. Enjoy, sorry, every wrong done to us in this world will be made right. Everything false will disappear and everything good and true will prevail. Every injustice will meet with justice, God's justice. Every sorrow will be reversed and joy will wash over us like a waterfall. There is more. The Bible says nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book, uh, in the, in the uh, Lamb's book of life, Revelation 21 and 27. This new heaven and new earth is not for anyone, but only those whose names are written in the book of the life. In reality, we don't know who are they. We don't know whose name is already written in the book of life or not. We have no ability to discern who is or isn't. Truly, None, no one but God himself knows who they are. They may well be those who are predestined. They are elected. Biblically speaking, those who believe in Christ by faith. Those who accepted God's free gift of salvation will see their names are being recorded in the book. Consequently, they will not see the reality of the 
lake of burning sulfur at all. What a wonderful good news it is. If you received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will see your name is being recorded in the book and you will be in his everlasting kingdom. Secondly, let us look at the character of the city. The major characteristic of the holy city is that it contains the glory of God. Interestingly enough, the city has no lights in it. Instead, it radiates with the pure with the purity of the glory of God, says in verse 11 and 20 and verse 23. Let, let me read uh, verse 23 for you. It says, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is the Lamb. They don't need, it doesn't need sun and moon because the glory of God is good enough as, as a, a precious stone like a jasper that shines like a crystal in verse 11. There will be no moon or sun. Why? The light of God's glory will shine throughout the city. The radiance or brilliance of God's glory is the only light the city will need. Thirdly, let us look at the size of heaven. It may be um, not uh, right because we cannot measure the size of heaven. But we can actually study the size of heaven through this chapter uh, 21. It will be about 1,400 to 1,500 miles high, wide, and long, according to verse 16. This means that the foundation is roughly 763 trillion square feet, or about the size of a half of, of the USA. If there are levels of, or floors in the city, and each one is about 20 feet high, then there are about 396,000 of them. This could be as, as high outer space. Having heard it, we realize that we have a difficulty and rather controversial question. Are they truly accurate dimensions of heaven? Have we thought about it? Are they truly accurate dimensions of heavens? There are many people believe that it is literal, thus accurate size of heaven. Otherwise, an angel would not give John exact dimensions during a tour of heaven. It is therefore the size of the new Jerusalem. On the other hand, some people believe that this might be symbolic language just to help us appreciate the amount of room that God has prepared for those who will be 
in heaven. Which one do I have to follow and believe? Literal or symbolic? Before I have to find out an answer for it, let me look at the question from a different angle. Is it a matter of life or death? The answer, obviously, no. Is it something against God or not? The answer is, again, no. Is it a choice of God's a gospel of Christ, Jesus, or heresy? I don't think so. At this right moment, you may want to say, Hey, Kyung, please make up your mind. What is your point? Well, I don't think I have to choose either of them, though. Not reluctantly but cautiously and carefully, as far as my limited study goes, I am convinced that it is not literal, but symbolic. It is my personal opinion, thus you are welcome to disagree with me. Nonetheless, I'd like uh, to draw your attention to the purpose of reasons John recorded dimensions here in chapter 21. I think that is more important, whether it is literal or symbolic. John is invited to measure the heavenly city. It is square, or four square means equal on all sides. So the city might be a cube. More importantly, the fact it is square on all sides indicates the perfection of God's eternal city. Nothing is out of order or balance. Nothing will be crooked. Nothing will be abnormal. Nothing will be twisted. Everything will be perfect. Everything will be straight. Everything will be refined, include our new resurrected body. Thus, I think the measurement simply emphasizes the city's future glory and highlights its capacity and might. They also suggest that this city is large enough to hold every follower of Christ who has existed and will exist throughout human history. The point is, there will be more than enough space for the saints, for the Christians, for every believer, from every tribe, language, people, and nation, being said in chapter 5 and verse 9, and chapter 7, verse 9 again. We can see the 12 gates, and they were named for the 12 tribes of Israel, while the 12 foundation stones were named for the 12 apostles in verses 12 to 14. It means in this city, the saints of the old covenant, 
And the saints of new covenant will be united. Those who believe in Christ in the times of New Old Testament and those who believe in Christ during the time of the New Testament, like us, will be united in this perfect world, the holy city of God. The meaning is quite clear. Jesus has gone before us to prepare an uh, abiding place for us in heaven. He has made the arrangement for us. We can be absolutely certain that heaven is our final destination. Why can't we certain of heaven? Simply because 2,000 years ago, God sent us a Savior, Christ Jesus, and he made this arrangement for you and for me. Let us notice, the city is made of pure gold and has gates of pearl. It says, verse 19, the fountains of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stones. A key purpose of the precious stones in the New Jerusalem is that it is rare. What is rare and precious now will be abundant then. Gold is precious here on earth, but it will be like a stone in the kingdom of God. Furthermore, the temple isn't there anymore because it isn't needed. The whole city is full of the presence of God. Separation of holy and unclean is no longer needed because there is nothing unclean. Everything will be perfectly clean. There is, this is indeed a holy city, uh, the new Jerusalem, where you and I will dwell for eternity. That is our home. Then let me ask you, as as I conclude today, are you ready for that day, whenever it may be? Are you ready to face God and his judgment? Are you ready for the new existence, free from pain and sorrow and disappointment? Are you ready for this holy city of God? By and large, we think we don't live in a perfect world. We don't live a perfect life either. But one day, we will be fully satisfied and discover the fact that we are living in a perfect God's world. Again, but one condition. If you make the choice to confess and repent over that which you have done wrong and ask for God's forgiveness and invite Christ Jesus to come into your heart and mind and at the center of your life and whatever you do, we then at last say together, according to 1 Peter and verse 3 to 5 of chapter 1, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, meaning for us, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. All we can do at this right moment is say, thank you, thank you, our Lord Christ Jesus. By faith in Christ, we have already booked our ticket for a return to the holy city, our eternal home, our final destination. It is a place where one day we will be face to face with God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. So we all say, come Lord, hallelujah, meaning praise the Lord, amen, so let it be done, amen.